Welcome to the Mustang UMC podcast recorded each Sunday morning during our 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. services. We invite you to join us in praise and worship during that time, and our hope is that this podcast serves as an encouragement for you and for your family in your daily life. Today our scripture is from Genesis chapter 22 verses 1 through 11. This is Genesis 22 verses 1 through 11. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's word. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there, and then we will come right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders, while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son. Abraham answered as they both walked on together. When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You all may be seated. Let us pray. And so, Lord, we do pray that you would teach us, that you would show us that your mercy and goodness and that your word would bring truth to us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. This is just such a a shocking story. Um, I've never met anybody who, when I ask them, what's your favorite Bible story? They say, well, Abraham and Isaac. Uh, that just story just gives me warm fuzzies about God. Uh, in fact, when, I, when we read this Monday as a, as a staff, I mean, you know, it just caused us all to shiver. Like, we just don't like thinking about this story, and we don't like thinking about a God who would ask somebody to sacrifice their son. It just feels so wrong to us. Um, and and as, I, uh, as I was thinking about how do, I, how do we get the impact of this sermon, um, I thought, I, if I did something, you all would never forget it. You wouldn't remember anything I said, and, and, and you wouldn't remember um, anything I ever said ever again. But I would, if I, I thought, I've got two boys, most of you know that, I've got two boys. And I thought, what if I laid one of them on this altar right here, tied them up and held a knife? That would be the image you would get forever and ever. So I didn't do that. All right. My children are scattered right now. Um, uh, I think they, they heard, you know, like, no, 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 not even, not even risking a, a chance with that one. 
It's the kind of story that just has us ask, like, God, what are you doing? Like, God, what are you doing in this story? What are you doing? Where is your goodness? Where is your love? And, and sometimes when we read the Bible, that is, is what happens. And especially as we know a little bit more about the backstory, because it, of course, it's just shocking and tragic that um, God would, would ask somebody to, to sacrifice their child. But this wasn't just any child. This was the, the child of, of a long-term promise. This was a, a child that would go out and be the uh, be, be part of the blessing of many nations. It was something that was a long time coming. Both Abraham and Sarah were very old. They were way past time to conceive a child. And so here, you can imagine after all these years and years, how precious this child was to Abraham and his wife, Sarah. And, and maybe there are some of you that, that that's been part of your story. Uh, maybe conceiving has been difficult. And so a child you've had um, or you had, you, you just, there's such a preciousness because you didn't know if you were ever going to be able to do it. Or, or there's a situation and, um, and a health situation in your own life. And, and, and just looking at the person sitting next to you, uh, they're so precious to you because you didn't know if they would make it through. And, and, and what often happens is when we have precious things, we do whatever we can to protect what is most precious to us. This is what we do, my precious, right? We hold on to it. I got a good voice for that today. Um, we, 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 we can be consumed with protecting what we find most precious, that we are going to do everything we can to keep it safe, to control it, and to make sure that we do that. I have to imagine that was part of Abraham and Sarah's story. Now, when we were talking about this as a, as a staff on Monday, one of the, the questions that, that we asked was, where was Sarah in the midst of this? And we don't really know. It doesn't say anything. Um, if, if I was Abraham, I probably wouldn't have said anything to my wife. I would have just sort of, uh, I'll see ya. Where, where did they go? Uh, a camping trip, maybe. I don't know. Um, another question that sometimes people have is, how old is Isaac in this story? Um, and the best answer I got, and this is not helpful at all, is between 5 and 37. Um, so you're like, Aaron, huh, you're, you, you, that's the best you got. That's the best I got. So if you want to imagine him eight or 27 or whatever it is, it's completely up to you. He was old enough to carry wood, um, on his back. Um, so that's about all we know. But again, it's so shocking for us because we can't even imagine a world in which God would, would do that. But as we look through the story, in fact, what we're going to see and experience is, is that for the people who were living in Abraham's world and who the story was being told to repeatedly, they were shocked by things entirely different than we are shocked by. And so one of the things that we do, and one of the reasons why I like us digging into the whole Word of God, and while these videos that we do with the Bible Project are really helpful, is they help us get a context for a world and, and a place that we do not understand. And so I want to kind of walk through what we read earlier. At, at the beginning, we, we hear this story, and, and, and God is testing Abraham, and he calls him. He calls him by name. Abraham, God called. And then I love the response from Abraham. He says, here I am. Is, is, is that he, he was able to hear the voice of God and respond to the voice of God. And oftentimes, 
Um, it is our availability that is our greatest gift to God. What he wants is for us to be present with him, to make ourselves available, to be like Abraham and to say, here I am, Lord. And oftentimes in life, we don't know what to do or we're not sure what it is that God wants. And, and there are some of you that, um, that would, would say, God, why don't you just, if you'd call my name and tell me, I'd do it. And I think so often we're too busy watching Netflix. We're too busy being in a hurry that even if God called us, we wouldn't be able to hear him because of the noisiness of life. And so maybe God has called your name, but you've been so busy being busy. You've been, you've been so busy trying to, to not hurt or not deal with things that, that we, even if God calls that we're not always available to him. And so one of the things that we can do is just give ourselves room to hear the voice of the Lord. It won't always be audible, but you'll know it, and we've got to still and silence our souls. I'm not good at it. I'm going to guess a lot of you aren't good at it either. And so often we got to have noise to fill our minds. But what if God is speaking to you and calling your name, and you're missing it because you just had to watch one more episode? Available. So God speaks to him, and he says, take your son your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. Now, again, for us, we get shocked in the latter half of this. We think, we think what is the kind of God that would, would make and go and tell somebody to sacrifice his son? But, but for the earlier readers, they would not have been shocked by the latter part. In fact, that would have been normal. Human sacrifices required by the gods, that's normal in that day. Of course the God would require a human sacrifice. That's what gods do. And so for the average person who was hearing this story or reading it, they would not have blushed that because gods can require whatever gods want to require. What would have shocked them was actually the first part of that verse. When he took the time to care for Abraham. Do you hear the words? Take your son, your only son. Yes, Isaac, whom you love so much. What kind of God is this that cares about the love somebody has for a child? That would have been the shocking part. The sacrificing, yeah, that's a dime a dozen. But a God who cares, a God who knows, that's a whole different kind of God. And so verse 3 says this, and one of the things I enjoy about reading scripture, and oftentimes I'll have to read it a couple times because I missed something the first time, um, is, is uh, paying attention to, to some little details. And so verse 3, it says, the next morning Abraham got up early. Now it doesn't tell us why he got up early. Um, and, and maybe he didn't sleep well knowing it was a big day coming. Maybe he wanted to beat his wife out of bed so she didn't ask him any questions. But I have a feeling that he got up early because he intended to be faithful to God. Now, has there ever been a time in which you know you need to do something, but you just keep putting it off? Like, like you know that you need to go to the dentist, and you're like, oh, I'll call them tomorrow to make an appointment. And tomorrow becomes tomorrow, and tomorrow, and tomorrow. Right? You know you need to do this. Or, you're, or, or somebody asks you, you know, when are you going to put the Christmas decorations away? And you're thinking, I'm I'll do it soon. And soon, you know, is all contextual, right? I mean, soon compared to 2050 could be next year, right? 
could be tomorrow, it could be whatever, but, but sometimes we, we delay being faithful and doing what we're going to say we're going to do. But here with Abraham, there is no delay. Early, the next morning, Abraham got up early and he did it. And so here's what I want us to know as people of God is that when you know the next faithful step, you need to take it. Do not delay. Do not wait. We are people who are going to try to take back control. If God is asking something, if he's asking a step of faith, take that step of faith just like Abraham did. He took the next step. He got everything along ready for his journey. And now you may not have noticed this too, but in verse 5 it says, Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there. Then we will come right back. There is a trust that Abraham has, not sure exactly what's going to happen. His job is to be faithful. God's job is to provide in the midst of that. And so he says confidently, or at least he says, we will come right back. And he trusted that God would provide. And we hear this with this little bit of dialogue that we get between Abraham and Isaac. Now, again, this is one of those stories in which I don't think we have the full conversation between Abraham and Isaac. All right, I imagine there was more to the story um, than, than what we see because this is, is what we see. Um, it says that in verse 7, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father? And, and I, again, I wonder how he said that. Like, um, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. And here's where the boy is confused. We have fire in the wood, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? And all Abraham says and it's enough for Isaac, is God will provide a sheep for my burnt offering, my son. And so when we walk in faithfulness, we also have to trust that God is going to provide when there doesn't seem to be a way. He's going to, to answer when we're so consumed with the what or the how, God is going to make a way and God is faithful to provide. It's not always in the way we expect it. It's not always how we expect it. But God is present and God is providing One of the things that I sometimes love is children's stories. I didn't love them until I became a dad. And then it's like, oh, man, there's such good stuff. One of my favorite, in fact, this is my favorite Bible, especially for preschool and, and early elementary kids' age, the Jesus Storybook Bible. Um, and it's just so good. Um, and every story that they share, they share some various stories, um, both Old and New Testament. But all the Old Testament stories point to Jesus. I want to share this story out of the Jesus Storybook Bible, because for me, it just had a profound meaning. Um, and this is called The Present. God knew that his secret rescue plan could only work if Abraham trusted him completely. God had to make sure Abraham would do whatever he asked. So a few years later, God asked Abraham to give him a present. Abraham liked giving presents to God. He gave God his animals. They were called sacrifices, and they were a way to say, I love you, to God. But this time, God didn't want a lamb or a goat. God wanted Abraham to give him something more, much more. He wanted Abraham to give him his son, his only son, the son he loved, Isaac. Put his boy on the altar and kill him as the sacrifice? How could God want him to do a terrible thing? Abraham didn't understand, but he knew that God was his father who loved him, and so Abraham trusted him. 
Early the next morning, Abraham and Isaac set off. They climbed the steep stony trail up the mountain. Isaac carried the wood on his back. His father carried the knife and the coals. Papa, Isaac said, we have everything except we forgot the lamb for the sacrifice. God will give us the lamb, son, Abraham said. They built an altar and laid the wood on top. Abraham asked his son to climb on top of the wood. Isaac didn't understand, but he knew his father loved him. And so he trusted him. He climbed up onto the altar, and Abraham tied his boy to the wood. Isaac didn't struggle or try to run away. He just lay there quietly and didn't make a sound. Everything was ready. Abraham took the knife. Tears were filling up his eyes. Pain was filling up his heart. His hand was shaking. He lifted the knife high in the air. Stop, God said. Don't hurt the boy. I want him to live and not die. I now know that you love me because you would have given me your only son. Abraham felt his heart leap with joy. He unbound Isaac and folded him in his arms. Great sobs shook the old man's whole body. Scalding tears filled his eyes. And for a long time, they stayed there like that, in each other's arms, the boy and his dad. Suddenly, Abraham saw a ram caught in some brambles to sacrifice. God had given them what they needed just in time. The ram would die so Isaac didn't have to. And so Abraham sacrificed the ram instead of his son. And as they sat there on the mountaintop, watching the embers of the fire die in the cool night air, the stars above them sparkling in the velvet sky, God helped Abraham and Isaac understand something. God wanted his people to live, not die. God wanted to rescue his people, not punish them. But they must Trust him. One day, someone will be born into your family, God's promised them, and he will bring happiness to the whole world. God was getting ready to give the whole world a wonderful present. It would be God's way to tell his people, I love you. Many years later, another son would climb another hill, carrying wood on his back. Like Isaac, he would trust his father and do what his father asked. He wouldn't struggle or run away. Who was he? God's son, his only son, the son he loved, the Lamb of God. This is an extraordinary story. And Abraham had extraordinary trust and faith in who God is and was. And, and, and I think most of us struggle with this. And in fact, if, if, God, if, if we were to say, hey, all God requires right now is, is you to give a your son or your daughter or what's most precious to you. Most of us would be like, I'm out, God. I can't do it. I, I, I can't do it. And, and I think sometimes we, we hear the end of a story and we forget that, that, that trust is a growth process. Is, is, is that um, very few things do we have 100% trust in, all right? But in fact, trust can build. And that's what we want to happen with God is that it builds. And so sometimes we're like, God, I got 20% trust. And God's like, well, can you take a 50% step? 
And maybe, maybe all you need is 60% trust. You're like, God, I, I know you're good, and, and I, I know what I've read, and I know what other people say, but I'm struggling here. And God's just like, I will take whatever trust you can give, and it can build. Because it didn't just happen for Abraham that all of a sudden he was able to give the sacrifice that he was and to co- commit and trust God that much. In fact, earlier in the story, we see the failings of Abraham because Abraham had a wife named Sarah. Now, again, for much of the story, they did not have a son. What was most precious to Abraham was his wife, Sarah. And he was so scared of what might happen to him and what might happen to Sarah is that instead of trusting that God was going to provide and take care of them, he tried to manipulate and control a situation. I know none of you have ever done that. This is just Abraham that has happened. And so what he would do is he would introduce his wife, Sarah, as his sister in order to try to protect both of them. We do this. And so he didn't trust God fully. He had to learn how to trust And so wherever you are in your journey, you're in good company because we want to be people who learn how to trust God completely. And this is what God wants from us is, will you trust me? I had a pastor who one time said, why don't you just tell God you don't trust him and make it a lot easier? And I think that's where a lot of us are because of our hurts, our disappointments, our pains, our struggles. We don't trust God or We're so busy trying to manipulate and control and make everything come across okay that we live in a world of idolatry. Now, oftentimes when we hear idolatry, we think of like these little images that people would would worship at. I I want you to just take these little images of, I want you to take this image of idolatry you have and just throw it against the window and let it shatter because that's not accurate for what an idol is for us. There's a pastor by the name of Timothy Keller who says an idol is anything, even a good thing, that becomes an ultimate thing. An idol is anything, even and especially a good thing, that becomes an ultimate thing. Idols are things that we hold on to instead of holding on to God. We, we, we hold on to them and we need them to be okay. We need to protect them. We must have them. They are my precious. They are what we orient our life around. And we don't like to admit it. We don't like to talk about it. But the reality is, is that we don't have a room where we worship idols. We have a heart where we do. And, and, and we struggle with this. And so I want to I identify some potential idols for you and for me and for us. And so idols can be individuals, images, ideals, or ideas. Let me say that again. Idols can be individuals, they can be images, they can be ideals, or they can be ideas. There may be other things idols can be, but I felt that was enough eyes uh, to go forward with, all right? So here's the truth. It's just like Abraham, our children can become our idols, in fact, we, we live uh, in the world I would live in, I would say we have idolized childhood and we've idolized children. And, and so we, we make our children to be the center of our world. They control our schedule, they control our emotional state, and our, their happiness is our single goal of life. And so for some of us, this individual of kids becomes it. And, 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 and this is actually, there's a good part of this. As parents, we want to love our children. We want to provide them with the best things in life. We want to take care of them. And we are responsible for them. But somewhere along the way, we take responsibility and we make it idolatry. And in trying to give our kids everything, we take away what is most important. 
or we try to control and manipulate. And, 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 and there are some of us who, we are, we are helicopter parents, right? We're so busy protecting our children from their falls that we forget we learn from them. And we need those falls. They need to fall, on the, they need to fall so they can learn to get up again. And so we, in our effort to protect, sometimes we miss the mark and we miss them. Not just our kids, though that's a, a, a common one. Our spouse can, can be the same thing. Uh, our, our, our music uh, and our movies tell us that, that love is everything and, and your spouse is supposed to be your everything. That's not true. If your spouse is your everything, you're not living in God's way. You should love your spouse. You should honor your spouse. You should care for your spouse. But they cannot be everything for you. That is not how God designed it to be. You know, we say things like happy wife, happy life. Or we try to make our wife our life. But really the calling is to have a life with a wife. I'd say something about husbands, but I couldn't find anything that rhymed. So you can figure it out and text it to me. But we can idolize our spouse. We can idolize that person or our love interest or whoever it may be. We're not supposed to worship the ground they walk on. We're supposed to walk with them in this journey. Individuals and maybe friends and maybe parents, there may be something that's just so precious to you, you can't let it go. It's an idol. And God calls us to surrender. Now, there are sometimes there are images that we have. Now, I don't mean graven images. I mean images of what, what we should be and what life should be, that we have to have a certain level of, of status or, or symbol or success. And so this image of me that I have in my head, I'm going to do everything I can to perpetuate this image, right? I mean, I think about Andre Agassi. Some of you will remember him. If you don't, then you're younger than me. But Andre Agassi was a tennis player who once had great hair and then had no hair. Um, but he was known um, for a commercial that said, image is everything. And for some of us, that's our idol. It's portraying an image that we think people want to see or need to see. This is made incredibly worse by Facebook and Instagram and other sorts of social media. But our image becomes our idol when we think everything has to look a certain way. Now, sometimes there's ideals, there's these high standards that we, that we have to have. Again, these can be good things, um, but, but we make them ultimate things, and that's where it gets in trouble. And so our job can be an ideal, that I've always got to be the provider, and, and I need to make a certain level of income so that I can provide for my family. Um, and that's an ideal that, that orients and runs our lives when it may not be good for us. Or maybe there are some, uh, we, we have to be the perfect mom or the perfect dad, this ideal that we've set up. And so that means I have to do X, Y, Z every day and, and I, I've got to do it. And I look around and I see other people and I, I feel like I'm failing because I've set up an ideal of an image that I have to be the perfect mom or dad. I've got to be the perfect employee and I can't ever let anybody down. We have these ideals. And maybe that's your Isaac today, something that that an ideal you have that you can't possibly live up to, and it consumes you, and it runs you. But there's also these ideas we have. Now, our ideals, ideas are our assumptions about reality. Um, there are things that we believe to be true and think to be true. And so I'm going to be just vulnerable with you all for a few minutes, and 
Um, I invite you to, to just receive that in the spirit that's offered. But this summer, when I was on my sabbatical, um, I, was, I was taking intentional time um, to, to grow in my own life and in my own faith. And so um, as a, there's this book and this author, and he's a pastor. His name's Steve Cuss. And uh, he wrote a book called Managing Leadership Anxiety. It's really, really good. He has a class online that I, I took that really dives in deeper to the, to the concepts of the books. And so one day I'm sitting there at my table, I'm watching the, the video, and I've, I've been taking notes as, as he's talking, and he, he asked this question, and I hated it, y'all, but I answered it, and I went through it, and I'm going to invite this, I'm going to offer this question to you. It may be one of the most important things you do, is to really answer this question. What do I believe I need that I don't really need to be Okay. What do I believe I need that I don't really need to be okay? And he says the average person has 12 to 15 things that they believe they need that they don't really need to be okay. And, and, and now there's maybe some of you who are thinking, I could maybe think of a few. When, when you start writing them down, it's amazing how they kind of flow. Um, and there are some of you, you may be doing this later, and you're like, Aaron, I'm at 32. Well, God bless you, all right? The Lord is going to do some work in your life. What do I believe that I need that I don't really need to be okay? So let me share a few of these with you from my perspective. Um, and and, and they'll, they'll, they'll just sort of tell you how these ideas can sort of dominate and control your life. Because for me, some of these things have been the most important thing in given situations. All right? So let me give you an example. One thing I believe that I need that I don't really need is I believe that I must be the most in control person in every room that I ever enter. I, I just felt a few things happen there. Some of you were like, that's so sad. And then a couple of you were like, him too. Her. That sounds like you. I believe I need to be the most in-control person in every room that I ever enter. Do you know how impossible that is? Do you know how, how difficult that is? Now, again, there's always a gift to this. There's always part of this that there's some truth in. As a pastor, I want to be a non-anxious presence. I want to be calm. I want to be with people. I want to guide and lead. I need to be that example. But I can be mad sometimes too. As a husband and as a father, I, I want to provide a safe place for my wife and my children. But I can't always be the most in-control person in every room that I ever enter. It's impossible. It's ludicrous. When I, when I typed it out and even saying it, I think, what kind of person is this? It's just not true. And the more I try... I will always fail because what's going to happen is I get to be human. You get to be human. And so as I, as I try to always be in control and I try to always be in control, I become like that pop bottle we shake up. And you shake up that bottle and you shake up the bottle. This is just water. Don't worry if I open it. Nothing's going to happen, all right? But you shake it up and eventually it's going to open. And we all know what's going to happen. So what do I, I believe that. So I worry my life around that. It's an idol. It's not true. It's not good. It's not holy. God, would you free me from that? Let me give you another example. This one's just weird. I don't know how to say it. It's just weird and stupid. Um, I believe that I'm responsible for defending everybody. All right? So every once in a while, one of you all will say, I can't just believe that person did that. So my instant response is, there must be a reason. They need to be defended. 
Whether that's good or helpful in the moment, I don't know. But just for some reason, I have this weird sense that everybody needs a defense and it's my responsibility, all right? So I'm not a lawyer. Maybe it was me reading John Grisham books as a kid. I don't know what it is. But if you ever need a defense lawyer, let me try, all right? Because I have that need. All right? I don't know what that's about. I want to find a reason for everything. There has to be more. And sometimes there is, and it's helpful to understand systems and all that stuff. But I don't have to be the one that defends everybody all the time. That's not my job. That's not what's needed. All right, one more. I believe that if I make one mistake with a person, that I will always be seen as a disappointment by them. I just feel this, like, oh, it's so sad. It is. And if you were up here sharing yours, we'd feel the same way. I'm not going to ask anybody to do that today out loud. Um, but if the Lord tells you to. If I, make, I, I believe that in order to be okay, I can't make a single mistake with a person or I'll be a disappointment and a failure with them forever. Why do I have these thoughts? I don't know. I'm working through some of that. But, 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 but you probably have some thoughts too. In fact, you, you may have been thinking of them. Maybe some of those are what I've said. Maybe they're entirely different. But, but we, what, what, what these things do is they cause a lot of anxiety because they are idols and they are things that you and I, we can never fix or solve by ourselves. And, and the more we try, the more we fail. We try to live up to this image. We try to live up to these ideas. And they control our world instead of letting ourselves live for God. And so God call with idols is to sacrifice them whether it be an individual whether it be an image or an ideal or ideas god's call is to surrender and to give it to him now so many of us were like okay god here you go there's my idol Ooh. but god wants it and here's the amazing thing and this is what jesus said about surrender. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. The only way to have the life is to lose it. It's to surrender. It's to put your Isaac at the altar and say, God, I do not want to be controlled by my ideas. I do not want to be controlled by my individuals. I don't want to be controlled by these things anymore. I have to give it to you. I have to trust you. I have to release. And I'm just going to take one step of faithfulness. I don't think God is expecting you to go all the way to 100% trust of whatever your idol is for most of the thing today. It is a process of growth and spirituality. It is not, an, very often, it's not instantaneous. But we give it to God so that we can trust him and he can take care of things. Or if not, the other option is you're going to try to manipulate it and control it the rest of your life. And you're going to orient your life around something that's unhealthy, whether it be a thought or a person or a thing or whatever it is, and it's going to drive you insane. It will not work. The only option you have is surrender. You and I may think we have power over it, but we don't. And so we have to, and we are called to trust God. If you want to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose, my li if you lose your life for my sake, you will save it. So the question comes, what do you do? And you surrender it to God just like Abraham did. He knew that God loved him and was faithful and true. And he trusted. 
And that's what God is asking us to do, is to surrender and trust God. You can trust God completely because God gave himself completely. What we believe as people who follow Jesus Christ is that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. He fully gave himself up. You can trust God. You can trust him completely. And so what I want to invite us to do today is um, I just want us to have a, a time of, of prayer. Um, and I'm going to invite you to think about what your Isaacs are. We have our prayer wall that, that we have over here. Um, if the Lord prompts you, I'm going to just invite you to come and, and write down your Isaacs or write down some of your ideas that aren't true that um, you think you need um, and just put those in the prayer wall. We don't read those. Those are just an offering that we offer to God. Um, but our prayer team on Wednesdays always prays over these prayer walls. And so we'd invite you to receive that um, and to do that. And just to say, Lord, here I am. That was the first word and the last word in our story. Here I am. Are you going to make yourself available to God or are you even going to control your relationship with God? What does it look like to surrender to God and say, Lord, here I am. I'm not even sure what to do, but I'm available to whatever you want to do. Thank you for listening to the Mustang UMC podcast. Once again, our services are at 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. every Sunday morning, and we would love to see you there. For more information about the Mustang United Methodist Church, please visit us at mustangumc.org or email us at office at mustangumc.org. That is office at mustangumc.org. We hope you enjoyed.